Hi, I'm John Foster. Hi, I'm Josh White. And this is Left to Burn, a podcast brought to you by thebattleground.eu. Today we're going to talk about some stuff that's a little maybe more North America focused than we often do because of changes in American law that have been going on in the last few days. Two days ago, Roe versus Wade was overruled by the U.S. Supreme Court. That's the decision that had made abortion legal in the United States. This was coming for a while. It was still pretty shocking. One of the background issues that it raises is the question of casting tactical votes. And I'll explain why that's important in the U.S. as we go forward here, and then we can talk a little bit about the Labor Party and the European situation. So back in 2016, Hillary Rodham Clinton was running against Donald Trump. And I heard from so many people on the left. I mean, there was the whole butter emails thing, moderate centrist type people who disliked Hillary Rodham Clinton for whatever reason, she was a woman, etc. Conservatives too, even though Donald Trump was obviously kind of a, a nut, found some cover not voting for her by the question of, did she have these emails on a private server? Of course, Donald Trump and his family did exactly the same thing, but that's a whole other question. The sort of left-wing variant of this was, but the drone war. Hillary Clinton, when she had been a senator, had voted for the invasion of Iraq and Afghanistan. When she was Secretary of State, she had been a very avid perpetrator of the drone war that was going on and continues to go on in the Middle East. The policy of ongoing extrajudicial killings by the United States military undertaken with drones with very little oversight. I heard from a lot of people, well, I just can't see my way clear to voting for her. So I'm going to vote for Jill Stein, the, the Green Party candidate, or I'm going to vote for Gary Johnson. Gary Johnson was a sort of Libertarian Party candidate, basically Donald Trump plus legal weed, or I'm just not going to vote. I really thought that that was not a very smart approach for the following reason. Stopping the drone war, sadly, was not on the agenda at that point, and continues not to be. Unless we get rid of the overarching neoliberal capitalist militarist state, which is not on the horizon, that's going to continue. The question is, what other collateral consequences are going to arise from the election of someone like Donald Trump? And as it turned out, those consequences were the confirmation of three hard-right justices to the Supreme Court, Neil Gorsuch, Brett Kavanaugh, and Amy Coney Barrett. Kavanaugh and Gorsuch said in their confirmation hearings they regarded Roe versus Wade as stare decisis as decided law, and then immediately, at the first chance they got, they overruled it. But so now we have a situation in which all manner of dangerous things are opened up. We can talk a little more about what may happen with that. And to be clear, what I'm not saying here is that if these people had voted for Hillary Clinton as opposed to voting for someone else or not voting at all, it would have changed the result. A lot of why Hillary Clinton was not elected, I mean, she won by, she got three million more votes in the popular vote than Donald Trump did. The question is, are you justified in casting a tactical vote? I mean, what's the point in casting a vote that is certainly not going to change the outcome of the situation versus casting a vote that may involve you in something which you legitimately morally oppose, but also has the capacity to stop a different kind of situation that you also morally oppose. And that's a situation that we're confronted with in mass liberal democracies. And one that is a big issue for people confronted with the prospect of voting for labor in the UK. Yeah, absolutely. We have the same debate of electoralism and what we might call lesser evilism in the UK. The conditions are very different. The constitutional setup is radically different. But we do face a, a choice between the kind of populist nationalism that Johnson has tried to represent 
and the kind of vague centrism that Keir Starmer is trying to rebuild. And the problem is, is that these two things are in a kind of circuit with each other. But many people will line up and probably vote Labour, hold their nose, in the same way that a lot of people will end up voting Democrat. Although it won't bring lasting fundamental change, it's kind of the one option that most people could see in terms of holding off the worst of all worlds, as it were. And in the US, with this court ruling, we can see how this is going to mobilise a lot of people. It's already mobilising people on the streets, from what I've seen. That's great. Hopefully something more will come from that, as opposed to people just voting and hoping for the best, because sadly there's not much hope in that. Yeah, it's not like the Democrats have been the most convinced defenders of abortion rights over the course of the last 50 years, but they have been a bit better in terms of their nominations to the Supreme Court. So if you look at who the Democrats have put on the Supreme Court, Elena Kagan, Sotomayor, both sort of moderate liberals and reasonable non-insane people, as opposed to Coney Barrett, who's a radical right-wing Catholic, as opposed to Brett Kavanaugh, who was plausibly accused of sexual assault, the FBI decided not to investigate. They had a sort of pro forma public hearing about it. There was a lot of pearl-clutching and accusations that the person who had brought the charges was some kind of sexual libertine. And then there's Gorsuch, who doesn't seem to have any consistent political views except a kind of ambient right-wing orientation. But the danger here has to do with the two of the other people on the court, Samuel Alito, who wants to take things back to the 50s, and here I mean the 1850s, and Clarence Thomas, who has some also some very retrograde views. Thomas came out in his concurrent opinion saying that he thought that they should review all of the decisions that were based on substantive due process in the 14th Amendment. These include Obergefell v. Hodges, which is the decision that legalized gay marriage. It also includes Griswold v. Connecticut, which is the decision that legalized birth control in this country. It could theoretically involve Loving v. Virginia, which is the decision that legalized interracial marriage in the United States. There's an irony there because Clarence Thomas's wife is white. A friend of mine who's much better schooled in legal issues has pointed out to me that Loving is much more based on the Equal Protection Clause, the 14th Amendment, than it is on substantive due process. But, you know, and then he said, when we were talking about this, well, you know, if you were going to get rid of that, first you'd have to get rid of Brown v. Board of Education, which is the decision that integrated schools in this country. And I thought to myself, why would they not want to get rid of that? I mean, pretty much everything is on the table. Okay, so this is why people are very alarmed in this country. And you're right that people are getting out on the street more. One hopes that this leads to not just more electoral commitment within the Liberal Party system, but maybe people organizing outside it, which is really what needs to happen in the larger sense. The people who are the source of this are the big-time money people funding the Republican Party, the kind of middle American radicals who basically want to take things back to a sort of earlier point in American life when white males basically just got to decide what happened with everything. It's important to do what you can do. and. A lot of my more radical interlocutors would say, well, you know, we need to organize outside of that system, which is true. But let's be clear. The left hasn't done that. The left has not created an extra party, an extra political force to challenge the, the neoliberal carceral system in this country. The left has signally failed to present any kind of utopian vision, if you will, that, that people want. And as a result, what we have is this situation in which various factions on the left are eating out each other's entrails while now 
women in this country are going to be subjected to compulsory pregnancy. And that really reflects, I think, very poorly on the left's efforts to effectively use all the tools at their disposal to combat this sort of situation turning out. Yeah, I accept the argument of against lesser evilism. I think it makes sense. But ultimately, my position on these matters is you cast a vote, you don't expend political capital on campaigning for politicians who you disagree with, but you cast the vote and you move on, you try and do other things, whether it's getting out there in the streets in protest, trying to organise independent organisations, whatever you could do, really, to exert pressure. Yeah, from my perspective, the US desperately needs more kind of independent mass movements that will scare the shit out of the Democrats, frankly, so that the Democrats do things that have been necessary for an awfully long time. Yeah, the Democrats could have put all kinds of measures in place to entrench abortion rights federally, and they haven't. Yeah, I mean, even in the 11th hour, when it was clear that something like this was on the way, the Democrats in the Senate refused to take the steps that they could have taken. I mean, part of it was Joe Manchin and Christian Sinema, two very right-wing Democratic senators who refused to basically move in any direction other than keeping things as they were. And generally speaking, I mean, this is the problem for the Democratic Party. People are like, well, the Democrats are just gutless, which is true. But what they are really is the left wing of finance capital. They're like Pavlov's dog. They're afraid of alienating centrist voters, ironically enough, because the centrist voter in the United States is the disappearing breed. I mean, it really just doesn't exist. And the Republicans have really been a lot smarter about this. They've really learned to play to their base. I mean, Donald Trump's a perfect example. There's a lot of Republicans who I think legitimately don't like Donald Trump, but he gets things done that they want done. He promises to reduce the tax rates. He alienates Democrats. He is against rights for gay and lesbian people. He's for strengthening the racial carceral state in the United States. And these are things that people on that wing of politics in the United States who otherwise might not like his grabbing by the pussy stuff, although plenty of them do, actually, are willing to overlook because he gets things done that they want done. And the Democrats have never really reckoned with this. And the left in general in the United States has never really reckoned with this. We were joking last time about splinter parties on the left. In the United States, the left wishes that it could get it together. I mean, we don't have enough people to actually have splinter parties. It's hard to see how it can break out of this kind of circuit as well, swinging back and forth between the Democrats and their terrible mess and an increasingly far-right, radicalised Republican Party. I would stress when we compare the UK and the US that over here the urgency is, is very different because we don't have this issue of a politically compromised judiciary, or at least not to the same extent. We have a Supreme Court, it's very anti-democratic, but it's not this issue of constantly being stuffed and restuffed with political fanatics in some cases. You know, and the most, most mobilising and radicalising issue in recent years, as you know, over here has been Brexit and issues around immigration, really. The abortion question is completely settled in the UK. That's a stark difference. Well, except if you include Northern Ireland in that, but it has still eventually broken through. It's the only part of the union where you'll see uh, regular anti-abortion activism. It's a stark difference. Yeah, the larger issue here is, 
you know, okay, so just to, to come clean, I'm a recovering Trotskyite. Back in the 1980s, I had a sort of thing for Trotskyism, which, which I've moved on from. But what my friends on that end of things were constantly saying was, well, there's no point in having anything to do with the democratic system. And basically, any energy that you spend, even to the point of going down and voting, detracts from your activism and also creates the impression with the working class, to which the Trotskyites have little or no actual connection, creates the impression, let's just say, and this is an argument that's been used in Europe by parties that actually did have a much more extant connection to the actual workers, that creates the impression that the way forward is electoral. I mean, this is a, an issue or an approach with a long history in the European 20th century European left. But I really think that it's been shown to be bankrupt. I mean, first of all, one of the sort of interesting things, at least from the American perspective, is that the sort of middle American radicals, if you will, middle American radicals is a term in American politics. It goes back to a book written by Donald Warren in the 1970s in which they studied middle class people who didn't quite fit into the liberal conservative divide. These are the people who are the source of Donald Trump's base. They're very hooked into ideas of white racism. They're the basis of a kind of American populism for which, ironically, the supposedly immensely rich guy, Donald Trump, although how actually rich he is is a matter of debate, supposedly he's the solution to these elites who are holding them down. The problem is that there's really no systematic approach in the American left to getting these people back into some sort of civilized mode of politics. I wish things were different, but the fact is they're not. And so what we have to do is undertake all the possible modes of political action, one of which is casting tactical votes when you need to. I mean, I have voted for the Democrats ever since I was 18 years old. I didn't have any illusions about what they were really about then. I don't now. But sometimes you just got to hold your nose and vote. And it sucks. I mean, I wish the world was different. But wishing doesn't make it so. Likewise, over here, I, I think there's a big debate about electoralism with regard to the Labour Party and the, and the state of the Labour Party given Starmer's leadership. There's probably a lot of Corbynites who are, who are going to hold off voting, partly because they may live in safe seats and think, well, sod it, I'll just let the Labour MP see their majority decrease slightly, just to give them a scare. And others just want to kind of say, screw you, to Starmer, basically, at this point. But at the same time, we're in a place where we don't have very many good choices in terms of organising, people are joining different groups and unions, whether it be this new union over here, ACORN, which is based off of the US ACORN, of course, or people throwing in their lot with far-left groups again or backing the RMT strike, for example, which has become a source of great hope over here, the left. But we're still left, but we're still back where we were before Corbyn was leader. We face a choice of voting for a Labour Party that hates us or just sitting back and watching the Tories govern, basically. Well, I mean, in the United States, there are some sort of green shoots, if you want to call it that, in terms of activism of a sort of more leftist sort. There's the trade union movement in the United States is rebounding. We'll see exactly how far that bounce carries. I mean, a lot of it is sort of post-COVID. But one of the really sort of interesting things is there's been a lot of unionization activism at Starbucks. I think that's a really interesting development. There was, by the way, an article in the paper that came out a few days ago. There was an internal memo from Amazon in which Jeff Bezos was worried that they were going to run through the available workforce in the United States, which 
somewhat gives the lie to their entire advertising blitz about how awesome it is to work for Amazon. And not surprisingly, given what's been revealed about what it's like to work in an Amazon warehouse, the turnover is about three times higher than it is for most even warehouse businesses. The Democratic Socialists seem to be getting a little larger. I'm not exactly sure what their numbers are. I will say I went to a Democratic Socialist informational meeting a couple of years ago. I always kind of mean to get involved with those people because they seem nice and I'm mostly for what they're for. They have a kind of local electoral focus that I think is actually not a bad idea. But I showed up at this thing, and the first thing I saw was an old white guy with a copy of Kropotkin. And the second thing was that within about 90 seconds of the whole thing starting, somebody had brought up Gramsci's war of position. Essentially, that's just code for we have no organizing force in the world. Every time Gramsci's war of position gets brought up in a meeting on the left, I immediately head for the door because it's a sign that nothing interesting is going to happen. I mean, with all due respect to Gramsci, who is a, a thinker of real depth and interest, but the way he gets applied by people who haven't read him with sufficient thoroughness. It's one of those things that you see at meetings on the left and just think to yourself, oh my God, not again. I, I do think that there are some positive developments going on here, and perhaps these overt challenges to what has seemed like settled legal protections in the United States will bring this to the fore a little more in the next few years. What it's going to take, in my humble opinion, for the left to get on a growing longer-term trajectory is the willingness to employ all the tools for resistance that are out there. And sometimes that's holding your nose and casting a vote for a stinker. Yeah, it's not a position of principle or purity, you know, and that goes for not voting as a tactic. You know, there may come a time where conditions have changed and, you know, if there was a, a mass movement or a mass party that was posing real radical changes and was a threat to the status quo, that it would make sense to refuse to be blackmailed into supporting the Democrats against the Republicans as a lesser evil. But the fact is, it's just not there. Until the US left can establish something like that, or the conditions change, then unfortunately you're trapped in this logjam. There's what the situation is and there's what you wish it is. If the situation was what I wished it was, I'd be playing central midfield for Arsenal. Wishing won't make that happen. Nothing will make that happen. But it doesn't pay to be a saint. That's a losing proposition in the political situation in which we find ourselves now. It's our responsibility to build it into something different. But we haven't done that. And we have to acknowledge that we failed and not compound that failure by refusing to do things that we can do on small scale to make things better. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and that's why I've been reluctant to leave the Labour Party, for example, whereas many other people in their thousands have walked over Starmer. I figure as a kind of insurance policy, I'll keep one foot in the Labour Party and go off and do other things in the meantime. And when the time comes to vote for another Labour leader, I'll quickly be back there. It's a very old row on the left, isn't it? Over parliamentary road, as we may call it, or even reform versus revolution and so on. Yeah, the anti-electoralist left will tell you that, in effect, we're just kind of supporting a, a dying centrist establishment, or at best, kind of favouring social democracy. But if the alternative is to be effectively conservative, or effectively enabling a right-wing takeover, then we really face not much choice. That's the unfortunate circumstances that we're in right now. Well, that's your lot, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. We'll be back in another two weeks. Hopefully, by that point, the world won't be on fire, but, you know, can't say for sure. In the meantime, march. Yeah, get out there. Be activists. We have to build a left, and it starts right this minute, so let's go out and do it. Thanks for listening. Yeah, thanks, everyone.